Gospel of John. It's what's typically known as, as uh, the restoration of Peter. You know, and that's really the, the main thing that goes on in this chapter is, is a restoration of, of Peter. It's actually the public restoration of Peter. And John chapter 21, if, you know, many people have, have noted that it, it seems like it's kind of out of place in the Gospel of John. I mean, John could have ended his, his Gospel there in chapter 20 with those, with those words uh, that say there in verse 30. It says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, the, and that believing you may have life in His name. Now, it seems like a great ending. Uh, John the writer, John the beloved, he could have just ended his gospel right there. You know, called it a day and it would have been amazing. But, but the Holy Spirit impressed in his heart to continue, to, to continue on writing. And in the, the last portion of, of, this, of this gospel, he, he makes it a point to, to point out the public restoration of Peter now I think it's important and to know that, that uh, John wrote his gospel last so by the time he wrote his, his gospel around 90 AD uh, Matthew Mark and Luke had already written theirs so he would have already read theirs you know Peter would have already been in ministry and, and I don't know if maybe questions questions arose about Peter's about Peter's uh, uh, ministry maybe about the the, 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 the the legitimacy of his ministry I mean, the other gospels finish finish the gospel with with uh, with Peter denying the Lord, and and we see no no public restoration of Peter. Maybe John made it a point to to point out that the Lord did publicly restore Peter. We don't know, we don't know. But one thing we do know is that kind of just again it seems out of place. But the Holy Spirit, you know, inspired John to to put this in there. So we're going to go through it. So it starts off by saying this is pretty much, you know, divided into four sections, verses one through six. We see uh, the disciples going fishing. Then verses 7 through 14, we see Jesus making breakfast. Verses 15 through 19, we see Jesus publicly restores Peter. Then verses 20 through 25, we see Jesus' encouragement to Peter. So verses 1 through 6, it says this. It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and two other disciples were together. So we don't know who these guys are. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. So we see that, that Jesus shows himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And the Sea of Tiberias is really just synonymous with the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias is, there, is, is, a, is a little region there in Galilee. So the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's synonymous. And well, the question arises, why were the disciples in, in Galilee in the first place? You know, many great common, uh, commentators, many, many great Bible teachers have suggested that maybe the disciples backslid. That maybe the disciples, you know, went back to their old ways and, and, and were fishing because they, 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 they turned back, they're back on the ministry and decided to do what they always knew what to do. You know, I've heard people suggest that, that maybe the disciples, that, that's it, you know, that, that, again, that they have backslid, that they went back to their old ways. But it's important to note that, that, that the Lord there in Mark 16, 7, if you guys want to turn to Mark 16, 7, as Mary is approaching the tomb, 
Mary Magdalene, she's approaching the tomb and she gets confronted by an angel. Mark only mentions one of the angels. And it says that, that, that the angel instructed her to go tell Peter and the disciples that Jesus will go before them into Galilee. So we see that, that what the disciples are doing is just mere obedience to Jesus. Jesus told them, hey, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. So now they go into Galilee and, I'll, and, and we find them here in Galilee and they just decide to go fishing. Remember that Jesus stood 40 days after his resurrection, appearing and disappearing to them. So after, after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, you know, he didn't ascend right away. You know, he put, uh, in the book of Acts, there, that first chapter tells us that he stood with them 40 days. And those 40 days he was appearing and disappearing at will. Pretty much just, you know, Jesus had a whole different ministry those 40 days before he ascended. Now he had already appeared to them twice by this point. If you notice there in verse 14, it says, Now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples. So he had already appeared to them twice. And then he appears to them one more time here in the, at the Sea of Tiberias, at the Sea of Galilee. Now, this was no doubt, keep in mind, this was no doubt the craziest week for the disciples. This is no doubt the craziest, week, the craziest week they had ever experienced. Their Messiah was crucified. He had resurrected. He had already appeared to them twice. And now he's coming in and out from them. And I was like, now what? You know, so they didn't even know what to think. You know, these guys have been through a lot. <laughs> think back seven days you know, as they're there in the upper room, as they're in the, as they're in the garden and the, and, the, and, the, and, the mob, and the mob comes in and they take Jesus. They're watching him be beaten. You know, they're, they're, they're watching him be interrogated. And then they're, they're watching him being handed over to Rome and to Pilate. And then Pilate beats him again. They're watching him crucified. They're hanging on a cross. They're watching him, you know, buried in the tomb. It's like, man, these guys are, have been taken through the ringer. Now they're here just in the Sea of Tiberias, at the Sea of Galilee. And it's like, now they're like, all right, well, now what? So what do they do? They, they, they decide to go fishing. Now, they did what they knew what to do best, you know, which was to fish. And keep in mind that we must uh, be going... Uh, keep in mind, like, you know, like, what must be going on in their minds at this point? Like, they're, they're seeing Jesus resurrected, you know, in their minds. They, they thought that Jesus was going to establish his earthly ministry. They saw him resurrected. He appeared to him twice already, and now Jesus coming and going. We don't know how long it's been since the last time they, they saw him. They're probably thinking, like, oh, that's it. You know, our ministry is over. Jesus resurrected. These didn't work out the way they thought they were going to work out. You know, what do we do now? And so they went back to what they knew what to do best is just to go fish. So, you know, you can just imagine what's going on in their minds. You know, all kinds of questions unanswered. You know, all kinds of uh, thoughts. Just a lot of question marks. So they're there to say the Sea of Tiberias. They know that the Lord had told them that he was going to go before them. And so they just go fishing. And it, it's... It's important to note that, you know, I mean, they had just spent the last three years following Jesus, forsaking everything else, you know, and now what? It's like, now what? It's like, what do we do now? You know, for the past three years, again, they quit their jobs, they left their families, Peter left his wife, you know, and they're following Jesus, and they're like, well, now what? You know, we spent our whole, the last three years following this guy. Jesus is resurrected, we believe in him, but that's it. There must be nothing else to this. So they go fishing. And it says that, that they fished all night and they caught nothing. And, the Lord, and we see that the Lord allows them to toil all night before he comes to them. I, I thought that was interesting because the Lord could have came to them in the middle of the night while they were fishing and stopped them. The Lord could have came to them right as they were getting onto the boat. The Lord could have came to them as they were thinking of getting into the boat. The Lord could have came to them as soon as they came to Galilee. 
But what does he do? He allows him to toil all night. You know, he allows him to go fishing all night and to catch nothing. He allows him to experience his failure. He ex- allows him to, to, to come back empty. You know, and to experience the, the, the emptiness of their own of their own strength. You know, and, and he allows them to go to go through all this, and then he appears to them. He appears to them when when they're just about to to wrap things up and come back home and and come back empty-handed. And I just think it's awesome how, how the Lord will do this in our lives. You know, where he'll, he'll allow us to go out there and endeavor our own strength and to do these things in our own strength and our in our own will and come back empty-handed. And we see that with the Lord that nothing is wasted. I mean, he'll allow us to do this for a reason. You know, he'll allow us to go out there in the world. He'll allow us to 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 endeavor on our own strength. He'll he'll allow us that. He's given us free will. You know, he's not, he's not, a, he's not a, a micromanager. He's not in control of every single action, every single thought that we do. You know, he's given us free will. But we see that, 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 that in this, you know, his purpose is shown. And no doubt he allowed the disciples to go out there and to catch nothing. You know, to toil away, to catch nothing, come back empty-handed. Because he wanted to teach him something. And I just love it. You know, I, I love that the Lord is just so faithful to remind us. Of this, you know, it's like just when we think that, that that that's it for God's work, and just when we think, you know, like that's it, you know, God's done with me, you know, He reminds us that, that hey, there's still more. You know, my work in you is not done yet. So there, there, here we have the disciples again. They're there in the Sea of Galilee. You know, Jesus coming in and out. They think maybe that's it of the ministry. That's it for them for their calling. They played their part for those three years. They they helped Jesus out with his ministry, and that's it. Now they're there in the Sea of Tiberias. They come back empty-handed, and it's, and the Lord's about to remind them, "Hey, I'm not done with you guys yet." He's about to remind them, I'm, "I still have work to do with you guys." He's about to remind them, "You're not done. The ministry's not done. Your calling is not over." We see there in verse seven. It says, "Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord." Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far off from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come into the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and Jesus laid on it, and fish laid on it, sorry, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And altogether there were so many, the net, there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we see that, that, that John recognized the Lord. They're out there fishing. Jesus comes up to him and to him. he says, Hey, have you guys had anything to eat? you guys catch anything? No. I say no. No enthusiasm, No. He says, all right, uh, cast your net on the other side. You'll find some food. They do it. They see that they bring in an abundance of fish, 153 to be exact. You know, but yet the net was not broken. And then we see that, that John immediately recognizes it's the Lord. I'm thinking maybe this reminded him of an incident sometime back. There in Luke 5, 1 through 11, Luke records to us uh, the, the calling to the ministry of these guys. And it's again, as they're there fishing, you know, Jesus approaches them and they're out there fishing, kind of same scenario. They've been fishing all night. They caught nothing. And this is their introduction to the ministry. This is their introduction to, to the calling of the ministry. And the Lord allows them to go out there again, catch nothing, toil away all night long. They come back empty handed, no doubt, probably uh, discouraged. And, and, the, and the Lord tells them, hey, uh, 
cast your net on the other side and you find some fish. They do it and they catch so many fish that the nets are breaking. So now we see this again, a similar incident. You know, and, and no doubt, John was probably, probably right away he remembered, hey man, this, I remember this. It seems familiar. It's the Lord. So we see that now, here they are again, fishing, unsuccessful, maybe thinking that their time has passed. That's it. You know, Jesus coming in and now he's doing his own ministry now. We're kind of set to the side. He's going on visiting all kinds of other people. He doesn't need our help anymore. He's in his glorified body. That's it for us. And we see that the Lord reminds them of their call to him. And that the call still stands. Despite the fact that, that only John was present at the time of his, of his crucifixion. Despite the fact that, that all others forsook him. Despite the fact that Peter had denied him three times. Despite the fact that, that Thomas was unbelieving. Despite the fact that, they had all, that all of them were in one accord did not believe that he was going to resurrect on the third day. Here's Jesus. Reminding them of the day that they committed to him. That they committed to forsaking on to follow and following him. Again, same incident. No doubt they're probably remembering back there what, what Luke records to us. As, as, as the Lord gave him instructions, hey, put your hand on the other side. He says they came to the shore and that, and that Peter bowed at his knees and he said, hey, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And right there, the Lord, the Lord gives him a calling. He gives him a, a, a commission. He said, he tells him, forsake all and follow me. And he says that from that moment on, they, they all forsook all and followed Jesus. Now here they are again, same incident. No doubt the Lord's bringing that to their remembrance. And, and, and I definitely think, you know, that, that they probably thought that that was it for them. They thought, man, we're just all suckers. We're all losers. You know, we all denied him. We all forsook him. All of us didn't believe. You know, all of us failed him. But, he, but here's the Lord again, again, reminding them of, of that first calling. You know, and reminding them and assuring them that this calling still stands despite their failures. So here's Jesus reminding them of the day that they committed to forsaking all and following him. And we see that Jesus is not looking at their failures. And he doesn't look at ours. He doesn't see ours. And we see our failures more than Jesus sees our failures. You know, we're, we're, more, we're more prone to point out our failures you know, than God is prone to, to point out our failures. God doesn't look at our failures. You know, he calls us despite our failures. And I just think, man, and if the Lord kept tallies of my, of my failures, I wouldn't be here. And I don't mean I wouldn't be here teaching. I mean, I wouldn't be here with the Lord. If, if the Lord kept tallies and, you know, I was always constantly reminding me, man, there wouldn't be enough paper on this earth to tally down my failures. But we see that the Lord doesn't, doesn't, doesn't keep records of our failures. You know, He uses us despite our failures. And that's something that he's teaching the disciples right now. You know, no doubt they felt like failures. They did all fail. They did all fail him. Peter denied him three times. And here, here we see the Lord. You know, just so, so compassionately, so gracefully, so lovingly, just reminding them again of, of their calling and reminding them that that calling still stands, bringing to the remembrance of, of when they first committed their life to him. And so he tells them. He says, "Bring some of the fish which which you just caught." Now, notice that, that they get to the shore, and when they get to the shore, Jesus has, has fish already cooking for them, you know. But he still invites them to add some of the ones that they just caught. So he tells them, hey, first he says, you guys got any food? No. All right, cast your net on the other side, you'll find some. All right. They recognize it's the Lord. They come to the shore, and they see that Jesus is there cooking breakfast. And then he tells them, hey, all right, bring some of those fish which you, which you already caught. Now, what does this tell me? 
This tells me that, that Jesus doesn't need our help in catching fish. You know, he didn't need their help in catching fish. He was already cooking breakfast. He had fish and bread. And Jesus doesn't need our, our help catching fish, you know, but yet he includes us in the work. I wrote a little note right here in my Bible. It says, Jesus doesn't need us to help him catch fish. He gives us a fish, which we catch, because he told them, all right, cast it around the other side. And he tells them, bring the fish which, which you just caught. And really, he, Jesus is the one who caught him. He's the one who told him, you know, cast it around the other side. He says, he shows us where to cast our net. He doesn't need us, yet he uses us. He allows us to lock arms with him in ministry. I think that's amazing. You know, that, that Jesus didn't need their fish. He had his own. He's already cooking breakfast for them. But yeah, he still says, hey, well, bring, bring some of the fish which you caught. So I just think it's awesome how, you know, the Lord doesn't need our help. But yeah, he includes us in his ministry. He includes us in his work. I'm reminded of what Mordecai told Esther in the Old Testament as Mordecai approaches Esther. And she's kind of just doubtful. Oh, I'm not even supposed to go, you know, before the king's court unannounced. And he tells her, hey, deliverance is going to come for the Jews no matter what. He pretty much, you know, I'm paraphrasing. He says, you could either, you know, deliverance is going to come no matter what. So you could join what God's doing or, or you could be a part of it or, or not. And we said, God's going to do something no matter what. And, we, and he gives us the opportunity, you know, to just join him in the work that he's doing or kind of just stand by on the sidelines and just watch it happen. And we see this for the disciples, you know, that, that Jesus was already doing something. You know, he was already cooking breakfast. He, was already, he already had the fish. But yeah, he said, hey, bring some of the ones that you just caught. Now, if they were reminded of the past fishing incident, they're in Luke, which I, I believe they, they, they were, then they'd be remembering what Jesus told them, which was, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I believe that at that moment, you know, as they're, again, as the Lord is, is bringing to remembrance that first fishing incident, all these things are probably coming to their remembrance. They're probably remembering all those things that, that Jesus told them. And they're probably remembering... You know, what Jesus said to them. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now this will prepare them for the ministry that, that lies ahead, which we're going to read there in the book of Acts. You know, it will prepare them to always remember that God doesn't need our help, but He chooses to include us in His work. I just think that's awesome. Verse 15 says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were young, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So now we see that, that now Jesus makes this more personal for, for one disciple, Peter. You know, he was desiring to minister to all of them as he's, remember, as he's reminding them of, of of that incident there, the first time they went fishing, as he's reminding them of their call, as he's, as he's encouraging them that, that the call still stands. Despite what happens, hey, I don't care what happened. I don't care if you guys deny me. I don't care about all that stuff. He says, the, the call still stands. But now he makes it very personal for one specific disciple, Peter. And, and I think it was necessary because we, we, know that, we know that the Lord knows us very personally. He knows what's going on in our heart. 
And I believe that Simon Peter was no doubt definitely still discouraged about what, what had happened. You know, maybe it was one of those things that you just don't mention, that you don't talk about. You guys know, I mean, sometimes, you know, we do things and, you know, you're there with your friends or people you love and you do something or something crazy happens. It's just that thing that you never bring up. You know, it's like everyone remembers, remembers it, everyone wants to say it, but no one brings it up. And as he's there with his disciples, you know, maybe Peter was thinking this. And I could just imagine, you know, like kind of like an awkward silence as they're eating, as a reminder of their call. And as Peter's there, you know, he's eating with the Lord and there's that, the elephant in the room. Hey man, Peter denied him three times. And then he locked eyes with Jesus as, as he's denied him. And there's just that, that, uh, you know, that unspoken thing. And the Lord, the Lord confronts it. He says, Peter, do you love me? So they had been reminded of their invitation and commitment to follow Jesus, to become fishers of men. They had been reassured that their calling still stands. And now Peter will be reminded of something else. So here they are again, around a fire, just to finish eating. Maybe this is on Peter's mind. You know, and Peter had denied the Lord for the third time as he warmed himself in the enemy's fire. And now here they are again, around the coals. And I just... And I just think it's, it's so awesome how the Lord makes it so personal for us. You know, how, man, there's billions of people around the, in the earth, you know, billions of people in this world. But, but yet God, God comes down and he makes, he makes his encounter so personal to us. You know, he ministers to us in a way that, that, that we just undeniably know that it's God. You know, he reaches us, he reaches us in, a, in a very specific, very, very personal way. For Peter, it was, it was the fire. You know, right there at, at Peter's greatest moment of weakness, at, greatest, at Peter's greatest moment of failure, around the enemy's fire, he denies the Lord for the third time. He locks eyes with Jesus. And now here they are again around the fire. It's like the Lord's making it very personal for Jesus, and the Lord makes it personal for us. You know, he brings us back to, 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 to that Bethel place. You know, when I say Bethel, I'm referring to, to Jacob in the Old Testament as, he, as he's crossing through the wilderness. He, he lies his head on a rock. He has an experience with the Lord. He recognizes, man, surely, surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. And it says that he raised up an altar and he called the place Bethel, the house of God. And the Lord is so faithful to, to bring us those Bethel experiences, you know, where he reminds us of, 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 those, of those first, like those first loves. Of those, of those, you know, those, of those first loves, of those first, uh, you know, emotions, of those first times where we committed to him. And also of our first failures. So he's doing this for Peter. You know, again, he denied him for the third time. They're at the fire with the enemies, at the enemy's fire. And here they are again now, eating with the Lord and around the fire. And he asked him, do you love me? It's interesting that, that three times Peter denied the Lord. Now three times the Lord has given him an opportunity to confess his love for him. And we see that Jesus is causing Peter to come to terms with the fact that maybe he wasn't as devoted to the Lord as he thought he once was. Again, he's, he's bringing it out of him, you know. He knows what's in his heart, but he wants Peter to bring it out. He wants Peter to talk about it. He wants to, 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 to bring it out of his heart. Again, maybe he's causing him to, to recognize that, hey man, maybe I wasn't as devoted as I thought I was. You guys remember there in Matthew 26, verse 33 35, as they're there in the upper room, you know, and, and, and the Lord is telling them, you know, hey, the Son of Man must be delivered into the enemies and, and, and be crucified, but on the third day he will rise again. And, the, and then Peter says, not so, Lord. And then Peter goes on to swear, to swear that he would never be made to stumble. He, he says, hey, all these other guys might stumble. All these other guys will, might deny you, but I'll never deny you. 
He says, even if I have to die with you, he says, I'll never deny you. I'll never forsake you. And maybe right now he's coming to terms. Maybe I wasn't as tough as I thought I was. Maybe I didn't love you as much as I thought I did. Maybe I wasn't. Maybe I'm not as devoted as I, as I thought I was. Maybe I'm not as dedicated as I thought I was. Hey, maybe I'm not as faithful as I thought I was. And the Lord is bringing this out of him. And you know what? This this actually caused me as I was reading this. You know, this caused me to to, to even like look at people differently. You know, because we're in the church and we see people. You know, walk away from the Lord or or go a different route, and, and we're so quick to. Well, I'm so quick. I'll speak for myself. I'm so quick to be like, man, look at them. Like, man, they're doing so good. And, and now they're over there and getting into all kinds of crazy stuff. Man, how could they? Like, man, it's crazy. You know, or you look at somebody who, who, was, who was serving faithfully in ministry, who the Lord was using, you know, and now they're off, you know, kind of on, on the sideline. And, and, you know, and we kind of highlight their failures, you know, and, and this caused me to, 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 to look at people differently in, in ministry. You know, because we don't know if this is what the Lord is doing to them. You know, maybe, maybe the Lord is teaching them, like, hey, maybe you were not as good as you thought you were. Maybe you're, you don't love me as much as you thought you loved me. And this also caused me to reflect on my own life. That, hey, man, maybe, maybe, this, maybe, maybe this will happen to me. You know, apart from God's grace, I'm, I'm, I'm prone to, to, to walk away from the Lord as well. There's that song that says, you know, prone to wander. <laughs> I forgot the rest of the lyrics, but I remember that part says, Prone to wander. He says, Lord, my heart is prone to wander away from you. And, and, and really that's it. I mean, apart from the Lord's grace, apart from just a, a, abiding in Him, our hearts are prone to wander away from Him. You know, and this caused me to, to again, to, to, to look at this differently. You know, to think like, hey man, I'm, like, like, Paul, like Paul said, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest you fall. You know, Peter thought he stood, man. And he was, he was standing tall. And he fell, he fell hard. And he failed miserably. But we see the Lord here restoring him so compassionately. So now, like, I look at people differently now. You know, people who, who I, I used to put on a pedestal and think like, man, look, the Lord's using him so awesomely and so greatly and that's so cool. And they veer off for whatever reason or it seems like they veer off. And, and now, now I look at that and I think, well, maybe the Lord's doing something in their lives. You know, and, and, and I look at it now for myself as well. Again, just thinking like, hey, I'm not, I'm not any different than anybody else. And if Peter was, you know, denied the Lord three times, and man, who's to say, you know, apart from God's grace, that, that I'll be here one day and, and, you know, and in the gutter the next day. So again, we see that the, that the Lord now is, is bringing this out from Peter. You know, he's causing him to just come to terms with it. And, and really, that's what, that's what the Lord wants to do. You know, is that he wants to heal those, those past failures. A lot of us, you know, we're in ministry and we get hurt in ministry and, and we fail in ministry. I mean, I have a book of ministry failures, <laughs> things I, I endeavored for the Lord and <clears throat> crashed and burned and failed miserably. You know, and some of those things could just, you know, like linger on us. You know, where the next time you step out, it's like yeah, the, enemy, the enemy in our flesh, they bring those things to remembrance. And, you know, you're kind of you're kind of hesitant about stepping out again because you remember, you know, what happened the last time. You know, and, and the Lord's desire is that we would come to terms with those things and that we would recognize that, that God's failures for us, you know, that, that our failures are just as important as, as our victories. That for God, you know, our, our failures are just as important as our victories. Because God uses all of it. For God, there's no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no distinguishing between the two. He uses both to mold us and shape us. He uses both our failures to mold us and shape us. He uses our victories to mold us and shape us. He uses both. So now he's 
again, causing Peter to, to come to terms with this. And he tells him, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Now, it's important to know, I mean, all you guys have probably heard this Bible study. And, you know, and it's important to note that, that there's two different types of love being used here. Jesus, when he's asking Peter, do you love me? He's using the superior agape love, that perfect love. Peter responds with a, not a lesser, but a different love, a phileo love. You know, like a brotherly love, not that perfect godly love. So he tells him, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. Now, Jesus knows that Peter doesn't love him with that supreme love. But that doesn't hinder Peter from being commissioned. And, and I just think it's awesome because the Lord knows our hearts, man. And, and, and the Lord knows that, that, that maybe we don't love him as, as much as we've, we'd like to love him. Do I, I mean, I, I say this in my prayers all the time. I'm like, Lord, you know I don't love you as much as I'd like to love you. I can't, Lord. Lord, you know I don't love you as much as I want to. Lord, you know I don't love you as much as I could. Because that's the truth of it. I, you know, not because I'm up here teaching things. Oh man, I love God and think about Him 24-7 and my life is a thousand percent devoted to Him and I, my thoughts never stray off. That's not true. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit that, hey man, my heart is wicked. My, my heart loves the things of this world and, and if I don't tame it, and I don't, if I don't come to the Lord constantly to renew my heart, man, I'd be... Sideways And I pray I'm like Lord you know I don't love you As much as I want to love you Lord you know I don't love you As much as I'd like to love you Lord you know I don't love you As much as I should love you But Lord I love you Except with Peter as well You know he's He's recognizing Hey man He's Jesus asking him Do you love me you know, With that supreme Agape love Jesus responds Lord I phileo you And we see that That, that this doesn't keep keep Peter from being commissioned again. You know, and, and, and we see that, that, that God's desire, desire is not to, you know, we see that as he's interrogating Jesus, he didn't stop until, until I mean, as he's interrogating Peter, he didn't stop until Peter said, yeah, I, I got for you. No. You know, but, he, but he's trying to get out of Peter just for him to recognize, like, Lord, I don't love you as much as I should, but I love you. And really, that's all the Lord wants from us. You know, he doesn't expect perfection from us because he knows we're, we're, we're but dust. Where the Bible says that, that, that God knows, uh, that God knows our, our, our days, that, that, that man is like dust. You know, we're created out of the, out of the dirt of the, of, the, of the earth. And God knows that. You know, and we're never going to be able to, to love God with that perfect love until we're, we're made perfect. We can't love God with that perfect love because we're sinful. We can't love God with that perfect love because we're in this fleshly, sinful, fallen body, fallen state. We're not going to love God with that perfect love you know, that He deserves until we're in heaven and, and we're made perfect. And I mean, I definitely believe that anybody who says that they agape love the Lord, that they love God with that perfect love, is a liar. <laughs> Either he's a liar or you guys should sit under their teachings, you know. But we can't love God with that perfect love because no matter what, it's tainted. It's like, it's like even our best love that, that we offer to God is tainted. What does the Bible say in Isaiah? That man's righteousness is like filthy rags unto God. That even the best of the best of the best that we can give God is like filthy rags. It's tainted, it's dirty. Even if we spend all night, you know, washing it, it's still, it's still dirty. Why? Because, because we're in this fallen, sinful body. But it's awesome to know that, that, that the Lord doesn't require a perfect love from us. He doesn't require a perfect devotion from us. You know, but what He requires is a willing heart. He says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you, but not like I should. So He says, feed my lambs. 
Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you, but not like I want to. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Peter was grieved, knowing like, man, Lord, all right, I get it. I don't love you like I should. He says, feed my sheep. So we see that that, that, that doesn't keep no, the Lord from commissioning Peter. He says, feed my sheep. There in Luke 22, verse 31, 32, it says, uh, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. This was right after Jesus, I mean, Peter had, had proclaimed that he would never deny the Lord. Jesus tells him, hey, Satan is asking for you. You know, he wants to just sift you like wheat. He wants to crush you. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen, strengthen your brethren. <clears throat> so we see one that, that, that Satan himself, you know, I mean, I don't think we're, we're as lucky to have Satan right, right on our tails. I don't think we're that important. I don't think I'm that important. And to have Satan right on our tails, like Satan wants you, but you know, he is asking for you by name. I know demons, you know, he's, he said his demons after us, and they're just as, I mean, they're, they're to be, you know, um, respected as well. I mean, I'm not saying that, do not think anything of it. But think about it. Satan himself was after Peter. You know, Satan himself was after Peter. Jesus said, hey, Satan wants to crush you. He wants to sift you like wheat. I mean, he wants to make you like dust. He says, but I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Says, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So we see here in, in chapter 21 a very discouraged Peter. And we see from what Jesus said that, Satan, that Satan's desire was to stumble Peter beyond the point of restoration. Satan's desire, again, was to stumble Peter beyond the point of restoration. Was to stumble him so much that he would never even dare dream about following Jesus again. He's asked for him by name. And honestly, Peter was there. He was shameful. You know, he was discouraged. He was stumbled. But Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Said, when you have, and when you have returned to me, to strengthen your brethren. So hey, Peter was there, man. <clears throat> Satan was having his way with them. Maybe, you know, he was using that guilt trip. Uh, sometimes I believe that the enemy uses guilt, man. To, to, to really just hold us back. The guilt and failure, guilt and, I mean, there's this, I'll, I'll confess something to you guys, man. You know, often when we go evangelizing, I, the Lord, no, I'm not going to say it's the Lord, you know, I, I believe it's the enemy in my flesh that brings this one incident to remembrance. You know, and it causes a guilt to me, you know, that almost stumbles me from going out there and sharing the gospel. 2017, um, I, was, I was able to go on a mission trip to Detroit and, I remember we're there, so we're we're over there at this at this Calvary Chapel, Oakland County was called. Remember, so we're getting all ready to go evangelize. We're going to go in Detroit and evangelize the inner cities. And I remember we're packing the the vans and getting everything ready to head out. And this, this guy rolls up to the church on a bike, you know, with the with the white shirt over there. You know, there's a lot of Mormons and stuff. So the guy rolls up with the white shirt untucked. You know, it looked like maybe it was his first day of Mormon school or whatever. You know, like they had just really proselytized him and they gave him the, the, the address. He was looking for the address. And I remember that, that he, he rolled up to the church. And I remember my head thinking, oh, that's awesome. I recognized right away, you know, this guy's a Mormon or he's a Mormon in training. He's there about to, you know, convert him or whatever. He's looking for the address. He's like, oh, you know, like messy. Like his hair's all everywhere. But he's got his button shirt. I think I remember it was button like, like where he missed the button. The first button, so it was kind of like crooked. He was like a mess, you know, but he was on his way to go to the, to, to the Mormon temple, which is down the street. 
And you stop at the church to ask, to ask for directions. And we're right here busy, you know, uh, loading up the vans. And I saw him. And I was going to go talk to him. You know, and, and, and of course, you know, bring him to the true faith. And share with him, you know, about the real Jesus. But there was, you know, we're with like a group of 15 other, other people from another Calvary Chapel. So I thought, oh, they'll, they'll handle it. You know, they got him. But, you know, it's like, I feel like the Lord, the Lord pointed him out to me. You know, so I'm right there. I'm, I'm filling I'm helping load the vans, doing all these things, you know. And then next thing you know, I turn around and the guy's gone. I'm like, hey, well, what happened with that guy? I'm asking everyone, wait, what, what's up with that guy? What happened to him? You know, I, mean, I was thinking that everyone had this, you know, the same heart as me to evangelize him. They're like, oh, well, he was looking for the Mormon church. So we told him he's down the street and he took off. And my head was thinking like, man, I missed my chance. You know, the Lord pointed him out to me. And, and the Lord told me to go talk to him and I didn't because I was too busy loading up vans. And dude, I'm not going to lie. This guy's face haunts me all the time. You know, whenever I think about him, I pray for him. I don't know his name. I don't know anything about him, but I just remember his face. And I pray for this guy. And, and it's like every time we're going to go out there and evangelize, like, I don't know, for whatever, whatever reason, I think about this guy. And I just, it's like everything just replays in my head. And I'm just, and I get to a point where like, I don't even want to go out there and share the gospel because I feel so condemned sometimes that, man, I, what if this guy is, you know, going to go, going to go to hell forever because I didn't share the gospel with them, you know, and the Lord told me to, I believe that the Lord specifically pointed him out to me and told me to go share with them, you know, and, and it's like, you know, I have this guilt trip sometimes, you know, and I have to really just pray about him and just pray for him and say, Lord, you know, this is all to say, you know, guilt, I mean, this isn't the same guilt as, you know, denying Jesus to his face three times right before he got crucified. But it's guilt, you know. So I'm, I'm thinking, man, how much more severe was, was Peter's guilt that he denied the Lord? And I believe all of us have, you know, a degree of that. Where you think about certain things in ministry that maybe you feel like you failed at or whatever. And, you know, and, and, and there's like a, this degree of guilt that maybe keeps us from, from stepping out <laughs> further, you know, or, or launching out further because there's this thing that always holds us back. And that's from the enemy. That's from Satan. That's from our flesh. So we see here a very discouraged Peter. And again, Satan's desire was to stumble him beyond the point of restoration. And Jesus says, hey, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, in this, we see a biblical principle that applies to all believers. There in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. As Paul is talking about the thorn in his, in his side, the thorn in his flesh, the enemy from Satan sent to buffet him. He says, and he said to me, talking about God, talking about God, he says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, meaning I'll rather rejoice in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And we see this right now in the life of Peter. You know, that, that, the, that the Lord is desiring to make himself strong in Peter's weakness. And I think in his weakest point, I don't think his weakest point was when he denied him. I think the weakest point came after the guilt afterwards. Man, now I've got to see Jesus face to face after I denied him three times. Right to his face. After I swore that we're never forsaken. After I swore that all these other guys might... Forsaken by whenever. Now he's resurrected, the glorified body. I gotta face this guy. So I believe this was Peter's weakest point. And we see that, that, that the Lord's desire was to make himself strong in Peter's weakness. And God's desire is to make himself strong in our weaknesses, whatever, whatever they may be. They may look different for all of us. But God's desire is to make himself strong in our weaknesses if we would just allow him. 
if we would just let him. Hey, I can tell you this. The Lord doesn't care about the, the ifs and the buts and the whatever. He doesn't care about the details. He doesn't care about the Lord, but this, I'm like, hey, he doesn't care about that. What he cares is, is about is that we would just be open to letting him be our strength and our weakness. So in our areas of weakness, Christ will gladly show himself strong if only we would let him. And we see Jesus doing this for Peter. Hey, he'll do it for us also. Well, whatever he'll do for any one of his children, he'll do for all his children. Whatever he'll do for any one of his kids, he'll do for all his kids. He'll do that for us also. In verse 20 and 25, it says, Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is, who is the one who betrays you? So we're talking about John. So then verse 21, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this guy? What about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remains... So I come, what is that? What is that to you? So what do you care? There's a disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which I if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself cannot contain the books that were written. Amen. Amen. So we see again after after Jesus causes Peter to come to terms with his with his failures, you know, and, and just allows him to be his strength and his weakness. He commissions him. He says, Hey. Follow me. All right. Now that that's out of the way, follow me. Now, now after you recognize that, 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 I, that I understand what's going on in your heart, that I recognize that you don't love me as much as you want to love me, hey, follow me. The Lord doesn't care about his failures. The Lord, the Lord doesn't care about ours. He says, follow me. That's all he cares about. Our obedience. Hey, follow me. So he says that he begins to follow the Lord. He turns around. He sees, Peter follow, he sees John following also. And he says, hey, what about this guy? What about him, Lord? And I think in this, in this is, an, is an awesome you know, encouragement for, for us that are serving in ministry. And even if you're not in serving ministry, but you're just walking with the Lord. You're being faithful to whatever God has called you to do. To not look at whatever, what someone else is doing. You know, I was talking to Liz yesterday and I was like, man, there's this guy I know, you know, and, and just, just the Lord's using him mightily. And I was telling her, man, that's so cool. Look how the Lord's using that guy. And, you know, and oh, that's so awesome. And, you know, in my head I started thinking, man, Lord, what about me? <laughs> you know? And the Lord said, hey, what if, you know, I say, don't worry about that guy, man. Follow me. And so it's important to, to, you know, this is an awesome lesson for all of us that are walking with the Lord, you know, that don't, don't focus, you know, so much on someone else's walk. Lord, I'm right here, like, barely surviving with you, Lord. And this guy's over here, like, on the third heaven walking with you, Lord. Like, man, I think he's like the second Enoch about to be raptured to heaven with you because he's so godly. What a man. <laughs> they're like, hey, don't worry about that guy. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what they're doing. Don't worry about that church is doing. Don't worry about what she's doing. Don't worry about their ministry. Don't worry about what I have them doing. Worry about you following me. And that's what it's all about. Taking our eyes off, off of what everyone else is doing. Hey, who cares what they're doing? Who cares what that church down the street is doing? Who cares what, whatever? Hey, man, what has God called you to do? What has God called me to do? He said, follow me. So he says, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So you see, Jesus being a little sarcastic with him. He's like, hey, if, if I keep him alive till I come back, like, what do you care? You follow me. 
And then he says, verse 25, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. I just think that's amazing. Because we have four Gospels. You know, again, John hadn't written. John was the last one to write his Gospel. When he wrote his Gospel, the other, the other guys had already written theirs. They were circulating around the church. He had no doubt read them. Luke is like, man, Luke included a lot of things. We saw Matthew's man. Luke, Matthew included a lot of things. Mark included a lot of things. And John, you know, includes a lot of things that those guys didn't. And to think that he says, hey, man, there's so many other things that Jesus did. You know, that if, if, if we're to write them down one by one, he says, man, the world itself cannot contain what he did. And the truth is that the Lord is still doing things. Uh, we can't keep track of what the Lord is doing. The Lord is still designed to do a work in us. The Lord is still de- designed to restore. The Lord is still designed to commission. The Lord is still designed to, to call people after Him. The Lord is still designed to do a work in us. If only we would follow Him. So, my encouragement to all of us, you know, me included, I'm in the circle too, to all of us, is that no matter, you know, if we failed them in the past, no matter what's happened in the past, Hey, the, 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 the commission of the Lord today is follow me. It's always going to be follow me. Lord, but you know, hey, follow me. Hey, Lord, but you know what I've done. Lord, you know where I've been these past few months. Lord, you know what I've been doing. Lord, you know where my heart's at. Hey, follow me. You know, and that's both an encouragement and, and, a, and a commission. We're all commissioned to, to follow him. You know, if, if we've been, again, straying away, it's not, hey, God says follow me. We've been maybe doubting our calls. Doubting, Lord, what, what is that you call me to do? What's, you know, and he says, hey, follow me. That's what I've called you to do. Everything else will come afterwards. Don't worry about the, 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 the other things. You know, but just focus on following him. That's my encouragement to all of us that, that we'll just uh, find ourselves today you know, in, in a place where we could just say, Lord, I want to just follow you. I don't want to look at what they're doing. I don't want to look at you know, what, what he's doing. I, don't look at, I want to look at what you're doing through that person's life. I want to just follow you. If, if that's all that the Lord ever calls you to do, just to follow Him. You know, if the Lord said, hey, follow me, and He never called you to, to win anyone, anyone for Christ or plant a church or pray, for if, or pray for somebody or do anything else but just follow Him, and you were obedient to that, then that's where it's at. That's what God's going to honor. You could go to heaven and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. If that's all God ever called you to do, and that's all you ever did, just follow Him. That's it. Obedience. We're talking in the other room, some of the guys... You know, I was sharing with them, you know, something that the Lord has taught me that, that, that obedience is not measured by, by how much we do for God or, or, or you know, how many, how, many, how many people know about us or, or you know, how, or how many numbers, you know, are in the church or how many people we reach. That's not, that's not how, me- how obedience is measured or how many times I read the Bible or how faithful I am to, you know, stay in my daily reading plan without skipping any, how faithful I am to, you know, whatever. But obedience, uh, success is measured by obedience, you know, not by numbers, not by anything else, but just obedience to, to, to the call of God, which today is follow me. Amen? Amen. Cool. Amen. Father God, just thank you so much Lord, for your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that, that you just bless us through this, through this little endeavor in the gospel of John, Lord.